Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Today's episode sees us head back to the green room where we interview not one but two sustainability experts from the world's largest brewer AB InBev. The discussion focuses on some of the company's key milestones and challenges to date as well as a look at personal thoughts on the sustainability agenda ranging from the sustainable development goals, the ongoing plastics crisis and Peppa Pig's recycling song. So buckle up for an hour of insights into the world of a sustainability leader. Enjoy. I'm Edie's content editor, Matt Mace, and I have a confession to make. In the last week, I have consumed more than 10 pints of beer, which to me sounds bad. It's not a good thing, I don't think. It seems to be that time of year where um, alcohol just ends up in my hands uh, more often, and hopefully other people as well. Hopefully I'm not just announcing to the world that I have a drinking problem. But um, the more parties seem to be emerging around this time of year, more social events. Um, And in recognition of that, I'm bringing you a very special edition of our Green Room podcast. Usually in the Green Room, we interview a sustainability leader on their journey to their role so far. It's a chance to um, look back at their milestones, their achievements, and and how they felt during that time. Uh, This week, I'm doing something that's never been done before. We have two people uh, crammed into this very snug, metaphorical Green Room. Today I'm joined by Tony Milligan, the Chief Sustainability and Procurement Officer, and uh, Ezgi Barsinas, which I hope I pronounced right, the Global Vice President of Sustainability of AB InBev, which is otherwise known as the world's largest brewer. Uh, so thank you both um, for joining me, and I'm going to start with a really brutally honest question. Is, is that bad, 10 points a week? No, that's, that's, no, no, no? Matt, Matt I, I would hope you continue this, <laughs> this trend. Uh, we would appreciate it. But we want you to do it under moderation, okay? Yeah, of course. I've, right. I've, I've touched nothing you know, today. I've gone two, into this stone Two pints over. a day, you know, you know, for a week. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I had <laughs> I had my reasons essentially. Like one, I'm a journalist, so it's it's kind of you know second nature for me to to have a drink nearby. But it's been um, we've had a fair few kind of bonfire night celebrations um, to to go to. Is that because you two are both based in the U.S.? Is yes. that correct? Right out of New York City. Yes. Yeah. So bonfire night's not really like remember remember. No, but I understand. Remember, it's not a thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, it's it's quite a big deal, especially down south in the U.K. They go crazy over it, burning effigies, big right. fireworks displays. As um, well, but I, I suppose a good place to start is is what brings you both to the U.K. Ah, oh, well, it's it's a uh, very simple. We're um, kind of moving from uh, the Web Summit. We just visited the Web Summit. We had uh, a couple of interviews there and, and a presentation. And uh, the next logical spot was come here to London, uh, which, if you think about it, has a really sustainable hub. Uh, Cambridge University is, is probably one of the leaders in sustainability and the academics behind it. So this is just a perfect place for Eski and I to come into. And we have tons of, of things to talk to you about, which you'll find, I think, pretty interesting, and your, your audience will over the next 45 minutes or so. Great stuff. And, um, Eski, I, I think I noticed you're actually speaking at an event tomorrow. I think, actually, our colleague Sarah is going along to that to listen to you. That's right. At the Bloomberg conference tomorrow, I'm excited to share more about our uh, sustainability efforts and specifically our renewable uh, electricity commitment. Great stuff. And um, this is a kind of a big occasion for a podcast, not just because it's two people in the green room, which, yeah. like I said, doesn't hasn't happened before. Um, so it's going to be an interesting dynamic. But 
Yeah, a lot of the time we, we speak to, I suppose, UK-based um, sustainability thresholds because it's easier to access them right. and, and meet them. So, um, uh, yeah, I think you're the first inaugural um, foreigners, essentially, on, on the Green Room podcast. So uh, congratulations. That's a very kind of esteemed privilege that you both have. Thank you for having us. Have. Um, this is probably going to... This is... People that listen to this now probably kind of end of November, December time. Right. It's been a ridiculously busy... 2018 certainly in the uk in regards to corporate sustainability there seems to have been a real momentum shift Mm -hmm. certainly amongst awareness amongst consumers of what corporates should be doing or perceived um to be doing how has that been felt at ab uh in it's a global company so there's lots of different audiences but has this been a has this been a big year for you it's it's been a fantastic year Uh, i'll speak first and i'll let as he jump into it but um We've we've been pretty much accelerating since uh, the job uh, was given to me as a gift. Uh, I, had, I was head of procurement, and I had a bunch of other responsibilities, but uh, my boss, Carlos Brito, gifted me uh, sustainability in October of 16. And then um, I'd say in March of 17, we came out with that we're going to go 100% renewable on our electricity, which... A lot of people think it's crazy. We're going to do it by 2025. Mm. And then since then, uh, we've announced our, our four big platforms around sustainability. And, and uh, we've gone from there. Uh, we've got Esgi, which is our global vice president of sustainability. So she'll be happy to talk to you in more detail. But I think the real cool thing is, is that as we have brought uh, procurement sustainability under one officer position reporting into our CEO, is that we really accelerated where I don't know of other companies who are seeing that kind of acceleration. So when when you make an announcement in March of 17, and by the end of this year, so let's say about 20 months, we'll be 50% of our uh, renewable electricity will be under contract. Now, that doesn't mean it's operational yet, but it is that we've got them under contract, and they'll be coming online in 2019 or early 2020. You do that, then you look at some of the disruptive things that we're doing. So in transportation, which is a large portion of our carbon footprint, we're disrupting that. So whether it's with a company called Nikola or Tesla, we've contracted for those trucks. We've contracted for thousands of e-delivery trucks, which are EV trucks down in in South America with VW Man. So we're looking at ways to to kind of disrupt that. And then you move to our packaging, which is our largest uh, carbon footprint about 35%, let's just say around mm-hmm. 35%. We're, we're really actively going after that. So we're the largest you know, bottle uh, um, uh, buyer in the world. We also make bottles. We're also the second largest can buyer in the world, but we also make cans. So for AB InBev, yeah, we have, we have a few breweries here in, uh, in, um, in the UK, one of them being Camden Town, which is a fantastic craft mm-hmm. uh, brewery here. But the thing is, is we're global. We're operating in 40 different countries around the world. We're making one in every four beers. And so we, we've got to make sure that we actually do things around the world. So agriculturally, it's not like we, we grow things in the U.S. or in Europe and ship it everywhere. No, we grow those things with local uh, farmers for local production and brewing. Okay, So we've got to be really close to our, agri- uh, our, our farmers. And so we've got a lot of technology and helping them through agronomists and things like that. So, uh, and Esgo gets some word deeper of that. And it's about actually helping them be skilled, connected, 
and financially independent, okay? And then uh, we, we can move into other aspects. I mean, you want to pick up, Ezzy? Yeah. Maybe I'll offer a different perspective, a, a personal one. I mean, you asked about the changes and how this year has been going. And I would say that, you know, I've been very humbled and privileged to have found sustainability as a kind of a profession early in my career. And I've been with the company with ABI um, nearly six years now. And what I've seen, the, the journey that we've been on as a company and even more broadly as the private sector is really encouraging as we're seeing a shift in attitudes and awareness of, you know, towards sustainability. There's great momentum internally but externally as well and how us as the private sector can play a much more powerful role in, in, in broader sustainability efforts and that's what we're here to talk to you about. And, you know, uh, Tony gave a few uh, examples of how we're looking at it from a value chain perspective and really now with the ability to go and execute now that we're housed within procurement function really gives us uh, all the more kind of energy and momentum within the company. Yeah. I suppose energy and momentum is really important as well because it sounds, yeah. just from the, the kind of list that Tony wrote off there, it sounds almost exhausting. Um, and you look, I suppose, at the, the shift in uh, corporate towards sustainability over the, probably the last three years, probably since I started working sure. at AD, you've, got the, you've had the Paris Agreement come in, you've mm -hmm. had uh, the SDGs. SDGs announced, yeah. In the UK, we've had um, plastics is all anyone wants to yeah. wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just an absolute wave of momentum. And I, 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 I get busy at work to the point where I'm like, sometimes, just sometimes I wish I could go back a few years and it was like, I was a bit more relaxed. Do you ever, do you ever kind of get that kind of pre-2015, pre-Paris Agreement urge to be like, no way. I don't have as many conversations and it's quite nice. Well, I would say, I mean, it's, you know, sustainability is something that you take so personally mm. that it takes a big toll on you, right? So um, I always feel like I don't have enough time to think. You're absolutely right. I think the, the energy is there and there's so much happening that you want to keep up with it and you want to be at the kind of leading end of, of um, so many different initiatives. Absolutely. I think uh, we've definitely seen that shift since 2015. And I think now we're kind of calming down as we're figuring out our, our individual areas of impact and where we can create the, the most positive difference mm. around the world. I think we're finally figuring out, okay, this is our strategy and vision. Now, how do we go execute and deliver against our promises? I, I would kind of throw on top. This sustainability is our business. Mm. And, and as you and I talk about all the time, is that uh, our product is natural. I mean, it's it's agricultural products, water. Even even the containers, that are, our beverage containers are, are basically natural, either glass because of sand and mm -hmm. heat or aluminum coming out of the ground. These are all natural uh, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the environment. So we look at our, our ability to be here for the next 100 years. It's about sustainability. I mean, everything we're doing, we've got to be good with those communities. Remember I told you, we brew locally. Mm. It's not like we put everything on a big ship and, and manufacture or brew it, say, here in Europe and ship it around the world. We don't. We're manufacturing in 40 different countries. So we've got to be good. We have to be very good with those communities we operate in. So, you know, we can talk about water. You know, that's one that's very local and mm -hmm. very dear to near, especially for over, you know, a quarter of our business right now is in water-restricted areas, and it's going to increase over time. Or we can talk all the way back to the carbon footprint and how, you know, if you think about carbon locally, it, it is, is affecting those local communities as much as it is just the, the globe. So I think uh, the way I look at it is, now I don't want to go back two or three years. I think, matter of fact, two or three years, I wish we were right where we are back in 2015. Hmm. If we, were, if we were where we are right now and go back to 15 and then go forward, man, we'd be so much further down the thing. And probably wouldn't have, you know, we'd have a lot of other companies on this flywheel joining us to get better and faster at it. It definitely strikes me that you're, yeah, in a sector that 
is completely aware of that responsibility that you, mm-hmm. you mentioned. And it's not just AB InBev, but um, some of the uh, kind of beverage companies that I'm close to, in, like mm-hmm. Carlsberg yeah. and Diageo, and you go, and it is probably it is probably that reliance on the on the resources. I mean, water is a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of nine times out of ten, you can take any kind of carbon saving method from one facility and, and replicate. But right. water's so so indigenous to its to its area and its community that you have to have that. Passion. I find it quite interesting that essentially a, a product that makes some people responsible is being delivered by what is an extremely responsible-looking um, sector, which we would touch. It's, it's more counterintuitive, about. right? Yeah, and I think that's what's special about ABMF. It, it is somewhat counterintuitive. Mm. It's a little edgy, um, but I think it's uh, with our scale. I mean, we're a sixty billion dollar company, and remember, I just told you about we're in scale, large size with the th- the industries we're operating in. We can make changes. I mean, I can, I, I along with my team, uh, can work very closely with our suppliers. We can tell them this is how we're going to do business. Mm. So we now can affect those carbon footprints back, or their waste profiles back, or or the amount of of, uh, of um, recycled content. We can actually create, we think, an opportunity to make post-consumer waste a currency. Once you make post-consumer waste a currency. It solves a lot of problems. Yeah, definitely right? solves a lot of problems, and I think that's the uh, the secret sauce in this. I think that's why you see other big FMCGs, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Unilevers of the world, things like that. They're making or an M and Mars. They're making huge statements around sustainability. We're equally right there with them, mm-hmm. right? And I think when you start seeing these monster companies that have scale, have the ability to talk to consumers through their brands, have a, it will have a huge impact in the future. And I mean, sixty billion. Uh, the company is is huge, so I, I would be great to get some insight into, I suppose, the internal workings there, and, and specifically the the sustainability procurement team. Like, what's the dynamic? How how big is the team, and, and how often do you two um, meet up in, in meetings, etc., that kind of stuff? Oh, she, she can't escape me. She, <laughs> she, she reports to me, yes. right? So, uh, and under under the umbrella. So, when I said earlier, my boss gave me a gift. Mm. When he gave me sustainability, he gave me a gift. Because every uh, procurement person on my team has a sustainability target, but they didn't even need the target, you know, for their their bonus. They don't need a target. They absolutely love this. So every time I'm having contracts brought to me right now or reviews on business, everybody wants to talk about the sustainability clause they have in or what's different, how they're going to get things done. So it's really been a, an engagement building uh, element to procurement. I've got people that are just so enthusiastic and so engaged to this. So I'm actually getting better work from my people. You know, when people are engaged, mm. they work a lot better, right? And they don't talk about uh, work-life balance. They talk about sustainability. Mm. And now they know they, they have a, a huge opportunity. I want to take one little example. On uh, March 24th of 2017, we announced we go 100% renewable, okay? And now I must tell you, I got more telephone calls, more texts, and more emails in my whole career on that one day. <laughs> I mean, it was the most I've ever gotten in one day. And it was all about, this is great. This is wonderful. I even had my son tell me it was the most important thing I've ever done. Wow. Now, I, I've told the story many, many times, so your listeners will, uh, might have heard <laughs> this one, okay? But I asked him, I said, why is it the most important thing I ever did? Because I, I tell the story, I changed his diaper, the very first diaper. I've been there for every special event in his life. I've been there to help him through any of the tough times. How can this one announcement about ABM Beth going 100% renewable by 2025 be the most important thing I've ever done? And he said it very simple. He said, Dad, you're a wonderful father. He said, that's great. 
He said, I really respect the position you have, you know, from a professional standpoint. But he said, but this one thing that you announced means you're going to affect my children and my friend's children. And he goes, and, and their grandchildren. He says, now you're talking about a company, ABM Bev, impacting a lot more people. He said, you're socially making a, a huge impact. And I, and I think that's how our whole team looks at it. Does that give you one little example of how important sustainability is to ABM Bev? Definitely. And so, I mean, I want to touch back on the uh, Budweiser stuff in particular about yeah. that, that messaging in a bit, because you, you're doing some really interesting um, stuff around your, I suppose it's brands really. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just to get, I suppose, a bit more into those um, internal workings, it'd be great to get to know how you got to this point. I mean, you, Tony, you said it was a, a gift essentially that mm-hmm. you came before, but where did both of you kind of get that in that passion about sustainability and think you know what what i want to do or what i want to at least strive towards is get to a position where i can work in a corporate as big as abm Bev and try and essentially make the world a better place yeah can i go first sure all right Eski, uh, i'll go first because i'm the old one here <laughs> and i do have positions so put it, put it right. <laughs> okay. but, but for me it's very simple uh, i look at uh, my generation uh, i've said it many times uh the boomers really accelerated this climate uh, problem we have. Um, and I'm, I'm the end of that t- tale for baby boomers. And, and one thing that baby boomers, all parents seem to have in common is we want what's best for our children. We want a better life for our children. Well, we screwed this thing up. We should be leading the changes, right? And to, to make the improvements. And I think that's where myself and the leadership of ABM Bev uh, kind of sees our, our role based on scale. And guess what? We have a social responsibility to impact sustainability. I mean, Eski's of a different generation. She's going to have a totally different point of view. <laughs> and, I, and that's why I let her go and talk now. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is in engineering and environmental health. Mm-hmm. So I um, studied public health. And um, I always knew I wanted to leave positive impact in the world. Uh, so when I first started, I worked in international development, then I worked in public sector, and it's given me huge amounts of, of experience and expertise as well. But what I realized is there's a lot of red tape cutting and you can't really move fast. You don't have the right resources and the teams in place to, to go and create that immediate impact. So um, after my MBA, I was looking for a company that would offer me that that opportunity to go and create that impact immediately. Um, and that's where I, you know, I ended up at ABI. And the more I learned about the company and its natural ingredients and how much it relies on a thriving environment, communities, etc., uh, the more I felt like, yes, I can go make that change. And going back to your earlier question about the teams, this is not just us as the global team where we set the strategic vision and kind of global partnerships. It's also the local teams that are actually executing um, against those commitments and, and building the right programs locally within their local context. And I think that's where um, we're creating a lot of momentum within the company. And it's also not just owned by procurement either. You know, how often do we meet and how often do we have check-ins? We have at least once a month check-ins, but we also report up into uh, what we call our sustainability council. And that's not just Tony that sits in that council. We also have three other chiefs. So our chief uh, strategy officer, marketing officer, and chief uh, supply, which is our operations officer, that also sit, sit, sit within that council meeting and take an active interest in what we do and, you know, what are some of the challenges we're facing and give us unique insights and strategic direction and I think that's what brings it all together uh, and, and really makes it work for us at the company. 
As you mentioned earlier, you're about six years into yes. the role. Tony, if my LinkedIn stalking skills are correct, you're, you're approaching almost 10 years 10 now. years, yes. So um, that's, that's like, what, is that like a... That's forever, it feels like. Yeah. yeah. Did you get like a little little kind of gift basket full of Budweiser no, at the 10-year no, 10, no, 10 anniversary? No. Or? I must tell you that uh, the day I joined was uh, probably the best day of my career. Um, and it's nothing uh, short of expectations uh, every day. It keeps on moving. So... Yeah, 10 years, it feels like it started just yesterday. Um, and, and, and I continue to pick up uh, new responsibilities. This, this sustainability was just came along at the perfect time, you know, almost uh, two years ago to, to the day, basically. Uh, so the, I, I'm blessed, I'm truly blessed to have the, the role I have. And I'm truly blessed to work with people like Esgi. And um, the reason I bring that up is because I, I just want to know how different I suppose the landscape is now compared to 10 years ago or six years ago I've only been in this um, mm-hmm. I've only been reporting on this for for three years I kind of came in as, as the Paris Agreement was being signed I was like oh everyone's talking about it was the but clearly not the case so like yeah how, how different is it now is it, is it so much easier to be able to in, talk to people and engage people on this subject matter now or? yeah absolutely and I would say people really understand the fact that this makes business sense I think over the last decade what we've seen within uh, corporate world is that we moved from philanthropy to corporate citizenship to CSR to now pure sustainability, which is, you know, how do I build a better world for my business and how do I um, champion inclusive growth within within the communities within which we work. Um, so I think that's been that's been a really nice shift that we've seen and um, and you know any company out there is probably going to claim that they've been on that journey, maybe accelerated or, or not, but we've definitely been been there. And, and I think um, the pivotal moment for us was when we moved sustainability into the procurement function and really operationalized it and brought it closer to the business so we can integrate and cascade targets uh, within the whole company. And people are responding really well to it. So um, when we talk about targets, these are our personal targets, which then get multiplied with uh, company performance and ultimately give us our bonus at the end of the year. And now you've got more and more people coming up to us saying, how do I share a target with you? We want to play a role mm. in sustainability, whether they're in comms or marketing or uh, operations. Uh, so people are actively taking an interest. Uh, they're also being very innovative uh, in ways of working, their processes, uh, their people, etc. So it's been a really nice shift. I, I, I want to. I will go back to a letter that came out this earlier this year from the CEO of BlackRock, and and why I'm bringing this up is he brought a, a, a letter of purpose, and I think BlackRock on average owns three to four percent of every public company in in the, in the world, and so uh, you know there are activist investors that get on boards mm-hmm. for less than four percent, and so when I see that letter of purpose that is requesting CEOs and boards to have a, a purpose, you know, a purpose other than making profits. I think that puts a lot of messaging and communication to boards and CEOs. You might want to take a, a real interest in that. I, I got to tell you, that had nothing to do with uh, Carlos Brito and, and our board. Uh, our board has always been very much about sustainability. My, my boss is very much the, the same way. We've just been very quiet about it up to about uh, two mm. years ago. Then we started saying, well, you know, we're doing some great things. Why don't we tell people about it? And, and the reason we do that is, like we're having today, this conversation, is really to influence other people to say, you know what? You need to be doing this also. And by the way, selfishly, 
it's good for consumers out there like yourself. If you're going to do 10 pints, I'm pretty sure I want you to do Budweiser. I don't want you to do our competition, right? <laughs> and, and, and so those are things that we want to communicate. That's why you brought up Budweiser a little earlier, mm. right? And I think Ezgi will answer the whole thing about Budweiser and the branding. But the one thing we've learned is, is that we need to be able to communicate with our, our consumers. I mean, AB InBev, most people don't know who AB InBev is. But if you say Budweiser, Corona, yeah, you say Bud Light, you say Stella, there's 300 different brands we can play with that can actually communicate to our consumers. That's a wonderful avenue or an instrument to at least communicate. Um, doing it under AB InBev, not so sexy. But doing it under, say, Stella for water, you know, talking about Budweiser uh, and, and our carbon footprint and renewable energy, talking about Corona, about just post-consumer waste and, and uh, recycling, those things become sexy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. I've, it was stuff I've got right in front of me. So the, the Stella Artois um, stuff is kind of around that buy a lady a drink program, partnership with water.org, um, and that aims to clean, I think it's nearly clean, sorry, provide clean water to... Uh, 800,000 people in developing regions. Then you've got the Corona um, the brand, which is, uh, yeah, like you said, around that packaging, uh, working with Parlay for the Oceans, which is obviously doing mm -hmm. amazing stuff yeah, with the yeah. likes of Validas as well um, to protect 100 islands against marine plastic pollution. And, yeah, the Budweiser stuff, which I thought was really interesting, the renewable yeah. energy Symbol, label. Yeah, yeah I, I was quite interested to see how many people would pick up a, a, a beer bottle and notice the renewable energy symbol and just maybe in, engage with that. But it, it's... There seems to be this growing understanding within corporate sustainability around a, a brand purpose to begin with, um, but also yeah, not just being good and, and making mm -hmm. these improvements, but talking um, about it. Has that, has that changed your roles in any way? I mean, we touched on yeah. the um, the procurement department and the mm -hmm. sustainability um, department becoming kind of one essentially and um, I'm sure our listeners at home would absolutely love to know how you did that and how long that took but um, yeah. does that also mean as part of this comms approach you're now doing much more with comms and marketing as a result because you know, you're becoming like the spokesman yeah, for Yeah absolutely company. I think more and more we're seeing brands take an active interest in figuring out what is the purpose uh, that, that they want to uh, message against and, and deliver on um, so it all really started in our company with Stella Artois over five years ago when they approached uh, me and my team um, to say hey we've got an idea it's going to be about women and water we're gonna call it buy a lady a drink. You need to help us build a build a program. So we help them identify uh, the right partner, the right mechanic, and the messaging. And you know, it was quite powerful. What came out of that was, you know, the simplicity of messaging that our marketing teams can put out there. Uh, that's gonna uh, make such a global crisis resonate with everyday consumers and make them care about water access challenges across the world in another country, I think was really ahead of its time. Um, and then, you know, as they started uh, providing water access to, to women and children across Africa, a few years later, we actually bought the SAB business, went into Africa, so that became our own reality. So now that program really shifted from almost a cause initiative to a real purpose as they're looking to grow in these markets as well. And that's been a really nice shift. It's been the most successful campaign of any campaigns uh, in, in recent years in our of any brand in our company. So that really um, 
resonated with a lot of the brands, gave them a really strong signal to, to go and look for their own purpose. But I would say it's all brand-led initiatives, mm. right? So it's not like us telling Corona, you need to go champion packaging. They had to find what is core to them and what is important to the, to the values of the brand. Similarly with Budweiser, when we came out with the 100% renewable electricity commitment and they saw how much buzz that created and how it resonated with uh, a lot of the millennials, they actually went out and did consumer research to see what it is that millennials are looking for. And, and the unique insight they got out of that was, you know, the climate change conversation has been very negative over the last five to 10 years. Yeah, definitely. Um, and consumers really didn't know what to do with that information and how to change the world uh, to, be, to be on the right track. And, you know, we wanted to empower them with something very simple, a, a label on a bottle that says brewed with 100% renewable electricity so that they could make everyday smart choices and really feel good about themselves because they're opting for a product that is made with green electricity compared to those that are not. Um, and it's also putting pressure on our peers as well out there so that they can go and um, brew the same way or, or make their products the same way and then communicate as well. And uh, this really worked really well for Budweiser, but they were the ones that put up their hand to say, we want to own this and champion this. So it was not really led by, by our team. We didn't uh, go force it on them. And what came out was, for the first time in a long time in, in the US, now the, the Bud brand is being seen as innovative and progressive. Yeah. So it's really starting to resonate with those kind of millennials that are in the legal drinking age um, uh, category, and, and it's working really well. And the scale, just to give you an example, over 40 million bottles of Budweiser is sold every day around the world. That could mean 40 million unique conversations we can have once we get to 100% renewables in every market where we brew Budweiser. So the, the more you can open these conversations and have that authentic dialogue with the consumer about the technologies that are available, you, you're really empowering them in a sense. If, if you think about other brands, do they watch us? You know, it's, it, it, there's a lot of copycatting, right? Mm. There's a lot of emulation, which I think is respect. But if if we are doing this and we're being able to communicate with our consumer that way, and and it works, you're going to see other cons uh, consumer brands doing the same thing, which means they got to get in the game also, right? So when she talks about you know 40 million Budweisers, let's just talk about U.S. We got enough uh, wind electricity coming in the U.S. right now to brew. 20 billion uh, 12 ounce units in a year. 20 billion, all right? And, and we expect to be 50% of the way, you know, 50% of the way, but 100% hopefully by uh, end of the year for US. So it just gives you the magnitude of these opportunities as you talk through a brand. Yeah. I gotta tell you the other thing, I think where our brands are today and where they'll be in about four or five years on brand purpose is gonna be I'd say one or two standard deviations away from where they are today. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think when you think about the water and, and Stella, I think that they're up on the top part of, of, of the, that pyramid. There's so much more they can do. I think Budweiser. Budweiser has the ability to talk about uh, renewable energy, but they also got the whole carbon footprint. They've got the whole carbon footprint they can talk to, and that's huge. you got Corona. I think they're just scratch, scratching the surface mm. on, on protecting 100 islands out in the Indian Ocean. But I mean, when you start talking about recycling materials and things like that, they have such a brand purpose opportunity to talk to. So I think, again, I think we're just at the, 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 the entry levels. And I think in another two or three years, you'll see a standard deviation or more move. 
That's really interesting because certainly in the UK, brands are starting to become synonymous with with a purpose. I mean, um, I I am now at a point where if I am down the pub and and it's in, if I'm being brutally honest, it's not always Budweiser. Yeah. It's uh, it's we'll other, that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's not always Budweiser, but um, I will be able to talk to people who wouldn't usually engage on on sustainability about sustainability. Right. Um, they have a general interest in the stuff I'm writing yeah. about. It's and it's been driven largely by plastics and blue planet too mm-hmm. i just wonder like is that something in the us for example you know, did they watch blue planet too is plastics a massive issue out there and i mean global markets especially the like, islands where it is where you can visually see the impact I've it's having it. no no I, i've seen it i mean if you go to um the coast in nigeria uh, and just walk on the beach there you get a real quick idea of how much plastics out there whether it's sachets or whether it's uh you know, Q-tips, whether it's, you know, uh, PET bottles. I mean, you can't walk on that beach without stepping on it, so it's real. Um, you know, I don't know if the European beaches, you see much of it. Uh, the, mm. the U.S. beaches, you might not see any of it, uh, much of it. But you, you set yourself down in, in Southeast Asia on those beaches. I mean, uh, there's 10 river, rivers, that, right? No, seven rivers, I think, that generate close to 80% of the plastic that goes in the ocean. So we're, we're cognizant of that. I mean, think about this. Corona? is about beaches. I mean, there's a whole spiritual home around beaches. We need to think about, and I think our brand people are thinking about, how do you protect those beaches? Mm. And, and that's gonna be part of that, I suspect. Um, so I think plastic is real. I think the interesting part for us is we don't have much plastic. Uh, and, and that's somewhat by design. Yeah. Um, beer doesn't do well in packaging, plastic packaging, it just doesn't. Uh, so I'm glad we don't have a plastic issue. But I think the thing is, is can we, ultimately move towards zero plastics in our packaging. I think that's where Esgi and I are moving. We're just not there yet to, to, to get our board on, mm. you know, to present them a business case. We have uh, one thing that's a little piece of plastic is underneath the metal crown on top of glass bottles. Yeah. That little piece of plastic, if we can figure that one out, if we can figure out how to keep beer fresh, because that's why that plastic's there, mm. and eliminate that, then then we might be able to take a high ground on plastics. And it's really great to see that um, a company with so much going on in the present is still so forward looking and looking ahead to see how that brand purpose shifts. Um, and I mean, even this, I, I speak as if like this year has come to a close, but we still got the COP climate conference in Poland coming up next month. Is, is that something, um, it's usually quite heavy business for them. Is that something you two are hoping to get out to? Or We're, we're, we're evaluating right now. I've got mm-hmm. a board meeting in Belgium, so... Uh, the timing is somewhat of a conflict. Esgi's trying to figure out whether, because she might have a board presentation, mm. uh, and we're just trying to see if we can free her up to go to that. And the reason I bring it up is because we, I mean, earlier this year, I think it was March 2018, you, you kind of made that announcement about setting that science-based mm-hmm. uh, target through the um, through the SBTI. That's right. The 25% carbon reduction. The grass the value chain, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And... Which is a great start. I think any any kind of business that wants to walk the walk or talk, talk has has to have mm-hmm. a science based target in place. We had the IPCC report come out probably a month ago about just highlighting that sheer difference between a one point five C world and a two point and a two C um, world. Is this um, is this a really good? I mean, it's, it's terrible. I don't want to say it's really good. It's, it's absolutely terrible. The start warnings and it's, but is it such a good storytelling opportunity for for sustainability professionals to take that report and say? That even even the trajectory we're on right now can can still be built on. So is is it a good chance to keep those wheels turning and make sure you're not kind of resting on your laurels internally? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that, you know, the, the public commitments we made are, um, you know, our value chain that we control in terms of, you know, green logistics, packaging, renewable electricity, lowering or improving energy efficiency in our operations, etc. So we're looking at it holistically. But what we're really hoping to get at is, and most of our carbon emissions sits in, in packaging, for example, is when we get to 100% renewables, how do we then enable um, and empower our packaging suppliers to also go 100% renewable, et cetera, right? So we, that cascading effect that we're hoping to have across our value chain, both, both upstream and downstream, is where we think that we can create a lot of momentum and, and really um, put ourselves on track for something even more ambitious than, than what we're aiming for right now. I don't think you're going to see us rest on our laurels. Yeah. I mean, because if you look at our four platforms uh, and by 2025, they're stretched. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we made this announcement of 100% renewable by 2025, I had so many calls and so did my boss about how crazy that is, right? Because we're going to do it over 40 different countries. Mm. We're doing it in countries that don't even have, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, South Africa and, and Russia are really tough countries on, on, on sustainable energy or renewable energy, sorry. So um, they're stretched and to do it by 2025. Now, people will say, well, Tony, why didn't you say 2030, 2040? And I always will respond to this is I know how humans are. If you say 2030, you're probably not even going to start working on it until 2025. If you say 2040, you're probably not even going to work on it until 2035, right? Now, I think for us, we're an execution uh, company. It, we put things out because we want to achieve them in short mm. periods of time. And I think 2025, if, if my, you know, we're bringing all the people in here, they'll probably say that was really longer than we think it is. We, we actually studied the, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole thing about, you know, how long it was going to take each country to get there. We've mapped them all out. We know which ones are tough. We know which ones are somewhat easy mm. to do. And um, like I said earlier in the, the podcast, we're, we expect to be 50% under contract by the end of the year. That's the end of 2018. You can do the math. We're on a pretty good uh, trend. Mm. So there's no – the one thing about our culture is, is we love hitting targets. We it's, absolutely yeah. love – Executing. And, and we're looking to convert six terawatt hours of electricity from brown to green. So it, it's huge, huge amounts we're, we're looking to do. And by 2025, if we get to 90, 95%, that's still an achievement. And, you know, and if, if we can have all the right conversations, knock on all the right doors in 40 plus countries where we're trying to bring additional capacity to the markets, then it gives us an ability to transform electricity grids wherever possible. Did you hear that number? <laughs> six plus terawatts. Six plus terawatts 6.6 to be accurate terawatts i mean people are listening right now they're going oh my gosh how big is that well that's several Mm. several nuclear reactors i was going to bring it up like just the the numbers that get talked about i mean even taking something you've already done you've i think Mm. in the last five years avmbev has recorded water savings of 20 billion liters and um i think the kind of the press release we got sent about that was like it's um 7800 olympic swimming pools oh, yeah. and even even then i can't picture that. i can't even picture one olympic swimming pool i don't know how, what the size difference between that is in a normal swimming pool to start yeah. with but you, you yeah it's, it's you've got all these mem- and yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um and then even with like 6.6 6, uh, ter- terawatts i mean that's that's numbers you can't begin well, to comprehend does that does that make it harder in in your job to say it's, it's like the lighting up the city of houston mm. with electricity for a year that's a lot yeah right i mean so when you start talking about the massive amount of electricity, we're talking about changing from carbon-based to renewable-based. It's it's a monster. It's easy to say six terawatts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
to give you context of how big that is, yeah, and how much investments is going to be done to make that happen by 2025, it's, it's, it's massive. Yeah. But it's not it's not daunting by any means. Mm. You know, the teams that are working on it is actually actually exhilarating for mm. them because uh, they know it's a massive challenge and and they want to deliver against it and they want to be the ones to say, hey, I was the one that helped it, uh, helped achieve it um, across all these all these markets. Exactly. But but it, do you still have to not necessarily people in the sustainability team, but across businesses? Is that something you still have to translate if you've got that target in place and or you know you're about to switch away is that still something because if some if, if my boss came to me and said i want you to go out and you know save 20 billion liters of water in five years i would obviously have to probably quit my job because i wouldn't know how to do it for a start but um i wouldn't be able to comprehend those numbers so and in sustainability in general i always find there's a lot of i suppose jargon that you're probably having to spend a lot of time translating is, yeah. is that the case um, I would say, I mean, we look at it from a roadmap perspective, right? So we have outlined which countries, like, mm -hmm. like Tony said, we've gone our, um, done our regulatory research to see in which markets renewables are competitive now, mm -hmm. when we expect, you know, quite a few others to be competitive over the next several years, etc. So we've got a roadmap. So we're targeting it country by country as opposed to looking at it holistically and mm, yeah. feeling overwhelmed. Um, so once you have that, exactly, yeah. once you have that, country focus, let's say three, four countries a year, um, then then you can really go, go into execution yeah, mode. These negotiations take a year hmm. <clears throat> or, or yeah. so to get done because, you know, the, the contracts are so term and condition and, and complex uh, and very complex. But our, we've got the same people kind of working on them. They, they absolutely love getting into this. And, and the funny part, well, not the funny part, the interesting part is, is that um, each time we do this kind of these contracts, we're getting better. Every time we get better, um, you know, some people will say, well, you know, you're spending a lot of money. You're going to, is the price of Budweiser going to go up? It won't be because of electricity, hmm. right? I mean, because uh, renewable energy costs less. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just on the topic of that complexity and in, uh, in not necessarily the contracts, but just in the, in the common species, is, is there any kind of, I suppose, and it is that jargon, is there is there any kind of word or phrase that you, just in regards to the same age you just don't like i had to um mm. i had to go through a fair few of our um we've got a, our own awards um and i had to read through a fair few categories and there's there's certain buzzwords that re-emerge and just starts to like almost get on my nerves like, like every time someone talks about holistic and i it's something yeah. i use in articles a lot but i'm like uh, okay, you hate that a, word huh yeah not, not that that's a thing. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, i was wondering in terms of um yeah. sustainability it might be stuff you get sent or stuff that gets published a fair bit um, in, in the BCU. I think there are some that are overexposed or mm. over uh, overly published, let's say. Uh, sustainable agriculture is one of them. Mm. You know, you see companies that have committed to 100% sustainable agriculture, and my question to them mean? would be, what does that yeah. mean? Uh, which is why, you know, our, our ag dev commitment, agricultural development commitment is very farmer-centric, and we're hoping um, to have 100% of our direct farmers to be skilled, connected, and financially empowered. So it's our brand promise mm. to them. Um, and that's a means to an end goal, and there are impact metrics we're measuring around environmental uh, stewardship, social metrics, etc. But, you know, that's how we're approaching it. Another one is organic farming, uh, because, you know, we've got a lot of agricultural experts that we talk to, and, you know, one farm can claim that they're practicing organic farming practices, but if the farms around it are not, then all the runoffs of all the fertilizers mm -hmm. and everything are coming into that farm anyway. So we, we try to stay away from those, and we have a, a big group of advisors, external advisors, that we lean on uh, for their unique in insights and guidance uh, on these topics, and we try to avoid what I would call gimmicky words. I mean, I, I don't mean, you know, these are the 
companies out there, I'm sure they have really good intentions. It's just we're also trying to simplify the messaging. So I understand why yeah, we're exactly opting that. for those terms. Uh, but I think the more we educate ourselves and our consumers, the, the, the more authentic uh, that the messages can be. Yeah, I'd say there's two. Uh, one's neutrality. Mm-hmm. When I hear something in neutrality, and, and what we think or what we hear is, is that means uh, we take from over here, but we offset it over here. Yeah. Well, that doesn't do any good because we're local. <laughs> you know, we're brewing locally. We need to make those impacts locally. Mm-hmm. So uh, the word neutrality kind of, uh, for Eski and I, we just kind of go, what, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. We, we know what it means, but for us, it doesn't mean anything because mm-hmm. we're working locally and we need to be good stewards and we need to be good citizens of those areas. I think the other one's greenwashing. And the reason I'll say greenwashing is this. Um, I, I hate when I hear greenwashing even comes towards us because we're executing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking to you about real numbers and real things we're doing. Um, you know, greenwashing is just people being skeptical or cynical of, of what we're doing. Um, and I welcome people to come challenge us because uh, we're, we're doing it real and we're, we're being very factual about it. Like I said, I expect a 50% by the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. I expect it to be there. Um, we're 37% right now. And I know there's, there's three contracts that I got approved between now and December 31st. Pretty sure we're going to be over 50% because <laughs> I know the contracts already. I've already reviewed them. So when we do these things, um, I hate for us to get mixed up with other people on this greenwashing because um, the facts say and the results are showing that we're not greenwashing at all. We're actually making really good progression towards the 2025 goals. Great and they're stuff. stretched. And I'll certainly be in touch around uh, just before Christmas to see if we if you yeah, got yeah. to the 50% um, target. Um, if I don't answer, it's because we didn't get there. Yeah, okay, I'll know that answer, You'll know. I'm yeah. going, yes, <laughs> it's that, done, we're done, there. Done. Good stuff. <laughs> I was reading uh, a recent LinkedIn post from yourself, uh, oh. Tony. Um, on, it's all about the sustainable development goals, which is probably the one area we haven't touched on so far. And you claimed, I believe this is the single greatest innovation opportunity the world has ever seen, which is a really great line. Mm-hmm. Um, in its uh, in itself, and I, I'm going to throw a real big loaded question at you: is, is how do you turn the opportunity into into an action, into a realization? You're talking about sustainable accelerator. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I, the, and seven trillion dollars is what UN estimates yeah, is going to yeah. be needed for yeah, uh, SDGs. The, the, the insight is this: uh, there's two insights that drive why I said this. First off, UN is estimated it's going to be five to seven trillion dollars mm-hmm. investment to get the SDGs. Okay, so. That, that, that's so much money and technology and innovation, it's got to push into a fourth industrial revolution, right? And we want to be a part of that. that so that's the first part. Second part was, as I mentioned earlier, the CEO at BlackRock sends out a letter of purpose to all CEOs and board members saying, you need to do more than generate profits. You need to have a, a, a purpose. And you put those two insights together and you go, man, we're, we're at a point where we can actually make an impact. And what I mean by that is, is this 100-plus sustainability accelerator uh, allows us to kind of say, what's the big things that are, are, we're addressing, you know, from climate hmm. or whether it's sustainability? Around that, what can we do to help solve those big problems? And so why I say it's the most and biggest important thing is this. We believe that we can start a, a flywheel. We believe we can start this flywheel, and we believe that other people are going to jump on this flywheel, and it's going to really get faster and faster, especially with five to seven trillion dollars being invested. Now, let's fast forward. We got a hundred plus, more than a hundred, 
um, problems that we're going uh, that are challenging to our business, mm-hmm. but they're also challenging to the the, the 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 world climate and sustainability. Okay, and now what we're doing is taking ten of those, and we're going to put those out as challenges. And I truly believe that around the world there's somebody really smart, a scientist, an entrepreneur, or just a business person in general that came up with an idea. And now we're asking them to give us business proposals on those 10 challenges, okay? And we can tell you about some of these challenges. And what was really interesting, we we launched this in June. And within two months, or two and a half months, we got over 600, over 600 proposals to solve these 10 different challenges. And then my team, a crack team, they're really bright, uh, unbelievably smart people. They down-selected to, to 20 different companies. And they represent, what, 20 different countries around the world? So, so we, we're very diverse. We're bringing them together. We're investing money in them. We're also helping them with their startup business. We're helping them with lean, uh, you know, lean mm-hmm. business uh, processes and all this. And we're now in a, pro, uh, a, a situation where we're piloting them, working with them. And about two or three months from now, we're going to introduce them to the public. And when we do that introduction to the public, we plan on bringing some of the biggest banks, you know, the, the green funds hmm. and their chief investment officers to, to that uh, unveiling. We plan on uh, inviting uh, many of what I call these uh, high net worth very passionate climate, uh, passionate uh, investors to the table also. Now, you take a small, small company with a really great idea, and now you can help them scale. Well, you know, our business, being able to do business with them, that gives them scale, yeah. right? But if an investor provides them, you know, uh, the, the investment money to them, to allow them to scale up even bigger, that's even faster. So that's why I said this is probably the most interesting and most important thing that we're going to do, I think, in my lifetime. She'll do some really great <laughs> things above that. But in my lifetime, I think this is a monster opportunity. And why do I also say that? I, I sneaky, I, I get a feeling there's some other people watching us on this. Hmm. And why reinvent that wheel? When that flywheel starts, you need to jump on it. So I'm expecting some of our, my corporate friends around the world, once they see it happen, they'll want to jump on and then that's just going to speed that that flywheel up even more. Must be like exciting to be pretty able romantic, to... huh? I mean, <laughs> I call it sexy. I think it's pretty pretty cool. And it must just be um, exciting to be as much. Uh, I don't want to use the word trouble, but as much uh, well, yeah, trouble that the world is in right now in terms of climate change and stuff. It must be exciting to um, look to the future and have see all these ideas firsthand and how how great they're going to be. Um, but what we were touching on earlier about how it's such a busy time, even now, to then also be looking ahead to solve mm-hmm. challenges that might not even be emerging yet. I, I, you know, I, I don't suppose you two have a typical nine to five day, but, but what does it do like? And how, yeah. do you, how, do you, how do you separate yourself from being so kind of committed to a global cause like the SDGs, like reversing climate change, like making sustainability normal? How, how do you just switch off at times and just unwind? Why would you, why would you switch off? Is that, is that I mean, you don't just want to escape for, for a while? I think people, if they're lucky to find something they love mm. to do, you don't ever switch off. I, I always say to people, people, if somebody says to me, well, you know, my work-life balance, isn't that? I, I start laughing because you obviously don't love your job. <laughs> I mean, when you love the job that Eski and I love, mm. and, and then we've got teams of people around the world that absolutely love it, 
I don't hear anything. I hear them always on because uh, sustainability is not going away once we turn off the lights, right? And the other thing I think Ezgi and I talk about, and my boss is, is his example. We live on this earth. It's not like we get on a rocket ship and fly off to Mars after the nine to five, right? Mm. It's not like we say, okay, we're here. And then we'll get on a, a jet or, 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 sorry, a rocket and fly out of here. We're here and, and it's our earth, right? It's our business. And I, I gotta tell you, um, yeah, I absolutely love what I do. So I don't know if I turn off. Um, I, I damn well in, enjoy my family. I yeah. will tell you that. But even with my family, it's, it's funny. My, my kids will say, Dad, you see this? Dad, you see that? I mean, they're talking to me about sustainability. Oh, that's great. That's isn't, great. Yeah. Isn't that cool? And I told you earlier, my son says it's the greatest mm. thing I've ever done. So you can already hear it. My wife in my ear also. You know. And then, then the interesting thing is, I'd say you were talking about years ago. I'd say five years ago, I go out with people, and they'd always want to talk about the beer. They want to talk about what's in the beer, how do you make it, hops, this, that. Right. Now I go to dinner, and people want to talk to me about sustainability. Okay, Tony, so how much recycled material is in this can? How much recycles in this? You know, how much energy did you, did you take to make this? I mean, where did your barley come yeah, from? Yeah, where did your barley yeah. come yeah. from? Right? Yeah. It's like, and so now, uh, I'm not going to use the word holistic because you don't like that word. But there's a, there's a lot more to it than just talking about our product. It's a lot of fun. I mean, is that a conversation you also have with your friends and family as well? Are they asking <laughs> well, that kind of stuff? Well, as Tony says, family first, right? So we do enjoy quality mm. time with our family. It's not necessarily quantity. I would actually even ask what is nine to five. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the occupational hazard of like loving your job, right? So um, I think, I mean, there's there's so much so much that we do and I mean I go home and I sit down with my three-year-old and he's watching Peppa Pig and he's singing the recycling 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 <laughs> song and I'm like I'm teaching him about that right so you don't really turn it off I mean you find those unique opportunities to educate people around you whether or not they like it or not you know so yeah yeah, yeah. I absolutely love it <laughs> that's great stuff and yeah I'm, you know, I, the one thing you brought up beer at the very beginning yeah. about it the one thing that I absolutely love about our company no matter how tough the day was how good or bad, and at the end of the day, I can open up a Budweiser and I can relax. I don't know, it's almost like a, uh, you know, uh, just a, it's a mind thing. Hmm. I can I can hear that crack <laughs> and then I start to relax right on the spot, right? Just can, can, we, can we touch a couple things? Remember when we were talking about the sustainability accelerator? Yeah. Let's just give your audience some ideas of some of this new technology that's yeah, coming on board, all right? So think about, a, a equipment that can actually take water out of the air, right, mm -hmm. and, and, and process fresh water that way. That's pretty cool. Or doing desal in a different way without using a lot of energy. Matter of fact, using renewable energy through solar cells. These are things that are just on the edge. And these are things that we're talking about. Or it could be a, a blockchain mm. uh, company called BankQ that allows farmers to have a financial identity. All right, so most farmers in developing countries don't have a financial identity. You and I and most of the people listening here today, they have a credit card, they have a bank statement, they have a credit score. Most bankers and most farmers around the world don't have that. So we're actually now helping farmers get their financial identity, which is empowering. And if you can just imagine, it's empowering because you don't have to deal with people that have control over you, like brokers. So these farmers would have to sell to brokers. The brokers didn't sell to us. The brokers are the ones making the profit, right? But they didn't even do the hard work. So it allows us now to, to give that farmer 
the, the money they deserve. It also allows them to get a financial identity. It allows us to connect to them technology-wise. So ultimately, there's a ton of things that come involved here. So it, it, as you kind of look at this, also look at this. This isn't through our accelerator, but just the whole disruptive nature of our company can bring. So when I brought up Nikola Trucks, hydrogen fuel yeah, cell yeah. truck, right? 800, I think. Yeah, that's 800 of them we've signed up to. We've also got a contract with Tesla, too. But when you think about this, this is hugely disruptive. Mm -hmm. Even on EV, it's disruptive to the EV. If you think about what we're doing down on autonomous truck, we ran the very first autonomous truck. Again, autonomous trucks actually lead a lot of the neat things because your ability to stack up these trucks uh, behind each other because your computer yeah, runs. Yeah. The ability to reduce your, your energy because you don't oscillate on the mm. accelerator, you don't speed. And oh, by the way, the drafting aspect allows that truck to, to use less fuel behind it and behind it and behind it. So, I mean, we're doing some really cool things uh, just to disrupt. And that's why I said that flywheel or that uh, 100 plus mm. sustainability accelerator, I think is going to just blow the, the doors off for us. I mean, it's going to really uh, um, really accelerate some technologies we think will help solve some of these climate issues. Okay, and I suppose just on the focus on, on those technologies that are on the cusp, that are on the edge, as you said, um, we are almost at the end of 2018, so I'd, I'd like to get, I suppose, a, a New Year's resolution from you both in terms of if you had one thing you'd like to achieve um, next year, what would that be? Oh, I don't know if I could achieve this next year, but making my job obsolete would be definitely something that I would want to do. I'm sure as just like many other sustainability professionals aspire to do out there. And I think we're seeing examples of that. We're seeing sustainability champions within operations, within marketing. Uh, and, and, you know, that that would be amazing to do over, over the next year. But of course, we're not going to get there. Um, I think, you know, around the sustainability accelerator, I would say if we can come up with out of the 21 companies, even if we came up with one or two local innovations that we turn into global breakthroughs, that, that to me is, is success. Um, and I'm hoping we can do that over the next year. Oh, yeah. uh, for me, uh, remember I said 50% by the end of this mm -hmm. year? I like to say about 65, 67. It's somewhere about two thirds of the way there by the end of 19. That'll make me, that's, that's, that's something I'm really targeting because if we can get that, I know we're gonna make those breakthroughs in some of these really tough countries like yeah. South, mm -hmm. uh, South Africa and Russia. I think we'll figure those out in the, the short term also. So I think this uh, that that gives our company a lot of confidence. So we can do all the other things on our, our 2025 goals. Great so stuff. that would be it. So I'll, I'll be I'll be on the phone to you definitely Christmas this year and, and next year to find oh, out yeah. them <laughs> I look um, forward to it, Matt. Uh, I think we're pretty much uh, fresh out of time, but I wanted to thank you two so much for um, taking you. time out of what is an undoubtedly a very busy schedule to, to come um, and chat to me, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And for those who have uh, tuned in, just a reminder that this podcast um, is available in a number of formats. You can access it via iTunes, um, via the ED website. We always publish an article alongside our um, podcast um it's also available on soundcloud and now i believe on android app as well we're in that 21st century at last and if you do have any questions about the podcast or would like to um talk about him perhaps appearing on it please do send across an email to podcast at fav-house.com for now and if they want to keep up with what Anheuser-Busch InBev is doing on sustainability, hit me up on LinkedIn. So it's Tony Milliken. So it's M-I-L-I-K-I-N. And just hit me through LinkedIn and uh, I'll take the invitation and I'll keep people up to date on what we're doing. Great stuff. And um, 
Thank you all for uh, tuning in today. Um, you've been listening to Edie's Sustainable Business Cover podcast. But for now, it's goodbye.